there was a lot of like uh, near-death experiences that were happening to me and some really divine interventions and i started to wonder um what's going on here and it, it really felt like the devil was trying to kill me and god was keeping me alive for some reason and so i started to question this like what is my purpose and what why am i here on the earth and why why is the struggle over my life and what what am i supposed to be doing What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. And my name is Derry. And guys, please, would you go subscribe, like, all those things. You can check us out all over social media. We post all the time, every week, many videos on many different platforms. So if you want extra content, like, alongside this podcast and including this podcast, you can check us out, Instagram, all those places, coming soon to Netflix. You don't want to miss it, so go check us out. Yeah, we're unhinged on TikTok. We fired our managers, so we cannot be managed. Yep. Um, but yeah, today we have a really awesome episode coming up. Our guest has done, done community development in Fiji for 25 years, mm. has a degree in community development, and has a lot of experience just working with cult- cross-cultural uh, ministry and engagement. And we have a really fun, we're going to have a great, great time conversating, hearing stories about mm what God's doing in the nations. So without further ado, Ray Pittman, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, good to be here. Is there anything in the introduction that I missed that you want to add or you want to plug anything? No, that was great. You guys did a great job. No books <laughs> on our secret or movies you're in you want to plug? <laughs> I do have a book called um, When the Sharks Come. You can find it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. There you go. Right on. So yeah, well, why don't we get into a little bit of your story and like how you got into working in missions and, and what that transition was mm-hmm. like. And then we'd love to hear just some stories that we talked about when you were on island yeah. um, regarding like faith and doubt and overcoming doubt and, and whatnot. Right. I grew up in the... So I was born there. My parents were missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And um, my dad was working at a school over there for missionary kids called Faith Academy. And um, I lived my first 12 years of life there. And it was great. I love the Philippines. And um, from there, we moved to um, what was called Irian Jaya in Indonesia. It's now called West Papua. And I finished up. Uh, high school over there and probably you know the last thing I wanted to do after all that was to go into missions or be involved in in ministry in any kind of way (laughs) Um, I really had a passion for sports I wanted to play sports and um, be a famous soccer player so I had no um, desire to go into missions or ministry and through a series of events which are in the book, um, the Lord really got my attention. I was kind of, there was a lot of like um, near-death experiences that were happening to me and some really divine interventions. And I started to wonder um, what's going on here. And it it really felt like the devil was trying to kill me and God Mm. was keeping me alive for some reason. And so I started to question this like, what is my purpose and what why am i here on the earth and why why is the struggle over my life and what what am i supposed to be doing <laughs> am i supposed to be 
doing something more important than playing soccer or um, having a, a bigger, bigger impact in the world. And so I began, these questions, you know, took me down this road of, well, you know, what can I do to serve others and instead of just myself? Yeah, it culminated in a, it probably culminated in an event um, where I was out spearfishing one night with some friends and we were in an accident with a boat. I spent the night in the ocean um, surrounded by sharks and, um, you know, the the title of the book, When the Sharks Come, comes from a fisherman friend of mine who says, when the sharks come, you really pray from the heart. And that's <laughs> from, you know, spending the, spending the night in the ocean. And yeah, you can be as tough as you want to be, but um, when you're in the water in the dark and sharks are circling around you, you have the sweetest prayers. And um, (laughs) you'll promise God anything. So, yeah, so that's what happened to me. And I, you know, I was like, if I survive this, you know, I'll I'll find out what you want me to do. And so, yeah, it's a long story, but I survived that night and um, began on this journey of trying to find out why is God interested in me and what am I supposed to be doing? And. I was about 15, 16 years old at the time. So, you know, I didn't really see myself as like the kind of quality material maybe God was looking for and Hmm. maybe the least, the least qualified for, for serving him. So I, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself and, you know, that I would be any kind of use, be useful to him at all. And I couldn't understand why he would be interested in somebody like me. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. And then, so you were about 15 when the sharks were circling you and that, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. I don't that I've never had anything close to that. Wow. And so then how did you go from, okay, I want to be a professional soccer player. Okay. God, I'm going to follow you. And then how did you end up like in Fiji? Um, yeah, so my whole life up until then was about soccer. Um, from, you know, first grade up, I trained. So I really wanted to to be, you know, the David Beckham of the world. And this, this kind of an idea, it was all about, you know, fame and glory and everything that comes with it. And that night in the ocean, it was... Probably the first time, I mean, I grew up around Christianity and I grew up around people of faith. I guess, I guess I'd put it like this, like you can grow up around the light, but not have the light yourself. And, um, it was my parents' faith. It was the faith of people around me, but it wasn't my own. It wasn't personal Mm. until that time where I made that commitment, like, okay, I need to take this seriously and make this faith in jesus christ my own instead of just sort of piggybacking on everybody else's um faith so yeah that night i made a commitment to god that all right if i survive this night i'm going to take this seriously and um follow the light so to speak in life and 
change my priorities and see what God wants me to do. So I started to ask him, you know, for the first time, like, what, what can you do with me? You know, what, what do you want me to do? And um, I met some people who were doing community development work, which was really practical. And um, I love working with my hands. I love, you know, solving problems. And so putting in water systems and helping people out in villages in really practical and simple ways with hydroelectricity and different things like that really sparked my interest. Um, and I was like, wow, we're, we're able to make such a big difference for people just with really practical, tangible things. And I didn't necessarily have to be, you know, this amazing evangelist or anything like that to, to help people out. The more I help people out, the more suffering I saw and the more, um, the more my heart began to break for just what people were going through out there and nobody knew about. And hmm. these villages in West Papua were so remote and hardly anybody goes out there. Hardly anybody cares about their needs. So seeing those needs and, and, you know, watching people die and watching people suffer and all those things, it's like, man, why aren't we doing anything about this? And how can I, how can I get involved and, in, what you know how can i make a difference in in these things and so i began to just wonder about that and look into different things and from there i went to um youth with a mission in kona hawaii and i did a dts king's mansion and um that was really good and and just getting my life on the right path and you know, figuring out my faith for myself and dealing with some of my my own issues. And from there, I did a school of missions and evangelism. I guess it was called the School of Frontier Missions back then. Hmm. And we went to China and pioneered a work there um, amongst a minority people group. And that work continued on to just recently, I think. Um, so over 30 years, that hmm. work continued. And Wow. hundreds of churches were planted from what I understand. But um, that was really good as well to get more experience in, in cross-cultural experience training and whatnot. A lot of miraculous stories happened. God did a lot of things. I think that time in China really made me realize, like, I'm just kind of a vessel here, you know, that God's using. I don't necessarily, you know, I think... I thought that God's just, he's looking for people to use and for people to work through. And um, I don't necessarily have to be, you know, this amazing missionary or this, this idea I had of some kind of Moses type person. But then when I started looking in the Moses type person, you know, Moses was kind of, kind of a, a mess himself. So it was encouraging to me that just God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Mm. And, you know, he's looking for obedience and willingness um, for someone to go do that. And I was like, yeah, Lord, send me, I'll go. And little did I know what that was going to lead to. But um, <laughs> I ended up back in Kona and then um, the Lord really strongly spoke to me to go home to my parents were in 
Texas at the time. So I went to Texas and I was like, what am I doing here in Texas? I have no idea. How's this getting me closer to missions? And then from there, um, the Lord provided a way for me to go to university at um, John Brown University in Northwest Arkansas. And I got a degree in um, community development. There was a professor there named Ed Klotz, and he was a missionary from Ethiopia. And he really took me under his wing, and um, I really connected well with him, and he mentored and trained me up. He's since gone home to be with the Lord, but um, he was really pivotal in my life in um, teaching me what he knew and opening doors for me and, and uh, introducing me to people. And he, he just did whatever he could to try to pave the way for me. You know, he got me through school. I wasn't the greatest student. And, you know, he bent over backwards to, to get me through the classes and everything and the academic part. And he really saw something in me that um, he, he thought was good. And he um, worked really hard to help me out. And, um, after that, well, yeah, during my senior year of college, I went back to West Papua on an internship or like a summer program thing and um, had some more really amazing experiences there that were really pivotal and, you know, hooking my heart into wanting to help the poor, wanting to help people in need and just you know, using community development in any way I can to improve people's lives. And my, my, well, at then, um, this girl I like came out for the summer too, spent the summer out there and then we fell in love and got married eventually. And so she's my wife now and we both had a heart for missions. And, um, when we graduated from, from college, we came back to YWAM in Kona, and she did a DTS, and we were planning to do a fish farming school and then go out back to West Papua and take fish farming as a way to um, create a food source for people in need. And while we were in Kona, the leader of that school decided to move to Fiji, and he asked us to come along with him and help him, you know, give him a two-year commitment to... Um, working in Fiji, helping him set up a base and everything. So we made a two-year commitment to that, and then we were going to go on to West Papua. And um, we ended up there for 22 years. <laughs> I haven't been able to, to get out. So, yeah, they made us citizens of Fiji, and um, we've been running a community development center there for 22 years. Wow. wow. I didn't know you were an actual citizen. That's pretty That's pretty neat. Is it? Was it pretty easy to get a citizenship or is that like a miraculous thing as well um it was just changing politics like one one day they just decided to allow people to become citizens and <laughs> i think people people were leaving fiji um people with skills and and money and whatnot and so they were trying to encourage them to stay so they offered citizenship to people who had been there more than seven years wow and we qualified, and so um, we went in and got our citizenship, and that made things a lot easier for us in many ways because we didn't have to deal with work visas and things like that. So we're able to kind of do whatever God's leading us to do in Fiji and not 
worry about anything. So sweet. Well, when yeah. you were here a couple of weeks ago, you were telling a story of when you were in West Papau and working with some people there and had a really um, kind of like a, I would say like a difficult time and, and a really challenging specific event with praying um, for healing. Can you, can we talk, can we talk about that story and then talk about like overcoming like doubts and, and staying faithful to God in the midst of doubts? Yeah, when I was in West Papua on that internship, um, I was in a village in the interior and um, it's quite a remote place. You know, the people were Stone Age at the time, um, no access to the outside world except through the missionary and the, the missionary aviation that was coming in there. Hmm. Um, so we had a request to go in there and help them set up um, some good sanitation and some clean water source and things basic things like that so we went in to work with the village on that and um while we were there we got to know the people built some good relationships and one night they came and um, pulled me out of bed me and my um indonesian um colleague and they took us into the jungle and they took us into this small little house and because of the language barrier, I, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I did speak some Indonesian, which was the trade language. And so able to, you know, translate from the tribal language to Indonesian to me understanding. And then the missionary's daughter, who was about 16 at the time, came over and helped translate um, what was going on a bit. But there was this young girl um, who had a baby and um, they married them off pretty young there. And anyway, she had a small child and the baby was quite sick. They wanted us to pray for the child that the Lord would heal it. Um, they said they had already been to the witch doctor and he was unable to help. And they told us, look, you've been talking about this Jesus God and um, how he can do all these things and how he's more powerful than all the other gods. and." this and that and you you know you know him and so we want you to pray for the baby that the baby will live and um it's it's really important because this woman's husband has left her it's a male child and the boy will grow up and take care of the mother that's kind of her her retirement plan and everything like no one's going to take care of her now because she's a you know single mom and no one's going to want her so you know it's pretty important that this child lives and grows up so please pray to your god that the baby will be healed and then um yeah everything will be okay so it was about like maybe three o'clock in the morning and um the the missionary system there they had a radio schedule in the morning so like around 5 30 or something the radio came on and then all the different stations including the the mission aviation people would would come on the radio and i knew if i could keep the baby alive till the sun came up i could get on the radio and call them to send a plane and um, <clears throat> evacuate this baby to a hospital and get it some help in the coastal town so that's what i was going to try to do is keep the baby alive for a few more hours until um, a plane could come and, and bring some medical help so I tried to see what was wrong with the child and 
it it seemed that I was having trouble breathing, so I checked the airways, and then I don't know. I remembered from somewhere that steam can help open the capillaries in the lungs. I don't know how I knew that, but I said, let's you know make a steam bath and put a make a little teepee out of a sheet, you know, and mm. put the mom and the baby in there, and let's see if we can get the airways open up and keep the baby alive a bit longer. And then we'll try to call a plane. So we boil some water, we get a sheet, we put the mom and the baby in there and um, try to open the airways and stuff. And um, it seemed like it was working at first, like the baby starts breathing a little bit deeper and we think, okay, this, this could work, you know, just a couple more hours and we can call a plane. And I noticed that people were getting a little bit like upset and fidgety and stuff. And so I asked what's, you know, what's the problem? And they said, look, we, we called you in here to pray, not to make these teepees and stuff and <laughs> whatever else you're doing. But like, we want you to pray about, you know, we want your God to hurry up and heal this baby. So get on with it. So I was like, okay, wow. All right. So they give me the baby and, um, well, my friend prayed for the baby and then they give it to me. And so I'm holding this child and, oh man, I was like, wow, it's like an hour until sunrise. And I'm like, okay, God, like you called us to help these people and um, this is a huge need and they've been resisting the gospel. And like, if you would heal this child, I mean, it would be a real sign to them that you're real and, um, you know, we've come out here to serve you and represent you. So please, you know, heal this child and really, you know, show these people that, that you're God. And um, I know you love this baby and you want it, you want it to be well. So, you know, in the name of Jesus, heal this baby. And then when I prayed that, it, the baby died <laughs> in my arms. And I was sort of in just total shock and disbelief, like, I'm very sensitive to death and um, I could feel the spirit leaving this, the body of the child. And I, I like so many things were running through my mind. Like this, number one, this is not happening. And number two, like, do I start CPR and, um, you know, chest compressions or do I, do I pray for resurrection here of the child or what am I like, what is God doing right now? Like, this is, this is not good. And, um, I mean, we're visitors there in this village, and these people are warrior-type people who still go out, we're killing their enemies and stuff. And I'm thinking, this this is taking a, a bad turn here. Um, <laughs> you know, not to mention, I'm not going to have a lot more credibility to talk about God after mm -hmm. this in this village if, if he leaves me hanging like this. So um, I'm just, I'm a trying to figure out like what do i do and it's everything starts happening really fast and um the mother grabbed the child and she she drags it across the room and she goes and she grabs this huge knife and she tries to plunge it into her chest and kill herself commit suicide and um everybody in the room just jumps on top of her they're grabbing the knife the baby's getting stepped on like i, I was just like just complete shock and um i think i'm like 20 years old at the time or 20 
21 or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just complete chaos. And this knife's flying around and the baby's flying around and like this woman's flying around and like everybody's screaming and yelling and they tackle this lady and they go get some vines and they tie her up, you know, and the, the body of the baby's on the floor and um, it's just complete total chaos. And so I run out of the hut, you know, cause I don't want to get stabbed with a flying knife that's, you know, <laughs> swinging around. And um, I go outside and the missionary's daughter comes out and my friend comes out. We are just like, trying to process what what just happened and um the missionary's daughter told us that um they believe that the baby would go to the afterlife and has to go on this journey and the mother will try to go with it to protect it on its journey to the afterlife so she will try to kill herself to escort the child across to wherever they believe they go and um, she would try until the sun came up to kill herself. And if the sun comes up and she's still alive, then she would accept, accept her fate and, and stay alive. But if she could kill herself while it was still dark, she would. So I didn't understand the whole thing, but that was the gist of it. And so they had to tie her up so she couldn't kill herself. So we went back to our place. We were staying back to our hut. And, um, you know, listen to the women scream all night because this baby had died. And I felt pretty terrible, you know, about, you know, because it was me praying for the baby when it died. And mm. I felt kind of responsible. And, of course. Um, yeah, I, I was really questioning God on that one. Like, what the heck, God? Like, you know, I leave mm. my soccer career and I come out here and I represent you and you're not going to show up and and do what you do like Mm. it i was kind of like you know god if you're not with me and you're not gonna like partner with me in this then i don't want to do it i'll go back to playing soccer and like Mm. doing my own thing so yeah i was pretty upset with god it's like confusing being angry at god because you're not sure if you're allowed to be angry at god but Mm. at the same time like i was pretty upset and um couldn't understand what was happening the missionary's daughter she was so upset by that that she nearly lost her faith over it i mean it was just a faith rattling moment that like why why wouldn't you heal this child if you could you know Mm -hmm. why why were we put in this position to test god so to speak maybe and then god doesn't show up and you know and i'm like well if god's not with me you're not going to show up then what am i doing out here Mm. and um so i was like you know i didn't think i could do this before now i I, know i really can't do this if god's not gonna be here with me so Mm. i'm I believe that I was a vessel for God to fill. And if he wasn't going to fill it, then I'm just a vessel. Like not a whole lot to offer. So Mm. I was really like shaken by the whole thing and wondering like how, you know, I don't know. I was like, what am I, what am I doing out here? Mm. (laughs) And, um, the next day the woman came and got me and, um, 
asked if I wanted to come help bury the child. And I said, sure. So I came in. They just had the baby in a cardboard box. And uh, we went into the jungle a little bit and dug a hole. You know, I dug a hole and put the baby in it. And it was it just seemed very, um, I don't know. The whole thing didn't seem right. You know, there was no coffin. There was no graveyard there's no cemetery it's just like you go out behind the house and bury a human being in the in the dirt and you know being a baby and everything it was just you know so i had held the baby when it died and then here i have it again it's been dead for a while and you know the thought crossed my mind like should i try to pray pray again or something and then i was like no just i'll just I'll just bury. So dug a hole and put the baby in it. And it's pretty, I don't know, for, for being as young as I was, pretty hard to throw dirt on a baby's face and in the jungle, you know, and just the whole thing was really difficult. Um, and then there was a woman with the, with the mother and she said, oh, I buried five babies around here somewhere. And I was just like, what? You know, like, wow. and there, there's just such a huge mortality rate among infants there that, um, you know, people were just burying babies everywhere in the jungle back there. And I was like, this is just not right. You know, um, what's going on here? This so many babies are dying and um, nobody seemed to care or know about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, after I buried the baby, you know, I was like, should we put a marker on the grave or something? And they're like, no, just leave it. It's just, you know. Mm-hmm. So, this man comes running through the jungle and he comes out and he was a, the brother of the, the woman who lost the baby. And he was from another village and he had heard what happened and he came running over the mountain. And... Um, showed up at the funeral well at the grave grave site and he was a christian he was a believer and mm. they had the gospel in the next village and he he came over and he, he asked if he could pray and i was like yeah go for it because i don't think i'll be praying for a while <laughs> and um so he says it's just this amazing beautiful prayer and he's been a christian like you know for a year or something and i was a christian for most of my life and this guy just the um sweet conversation he had with god about that moment was so um humbly god and his prayer said basically you know um god you love this child so much that you didn't want it to grow up in a life of suffering here and you wanted it to be with you and it's because of your love that it's in your arms today and that, you know, it's with you and this is the best place to be. And just thanks for letting the baby skip this life and just go straight to you. That was his attitude about it. Like what a blessing, you know, what a blessing that not to have to grow up in this terrible place with all the suffering and sickness and death and everything and just be able to go straight to heaven. He was just like really grateful to God and, I was like, well, that's a interesting perspective of it, you know? <laughs> like, wow, I wouldn't have thought 
thought about that. I thought of this as a huge loss, you know, but he saw it as a huge gain. And um, it really challenged my perspective of also really just challenged my faith, you know, like what this guy's been a Christian for a year and his faith is so strong. Like he just doesn't question God at all. And uh, yeah, so I had a, I mean, I'm still processing that to this day. I don't know why God did that. Like, no idea what the plan was for that. <clears throat> but when I left that village, you know, I, fe- I felt like a pretty big failure, even though we had done what we came to do as far as water and sanitation went. We were able to put in a clean water system and a sanitation system and all that stuff. It all worked and it was all good. And, mm. you know, it helped the people a lot. But... Um, I felt like a pretty big failure that for that moment and not being able to help that baby. And the, the mother came to the plane when I left and she, she said to me, um, she, you know, she grabbed onto my arm and she said to me, like, now that you've seen us, you can't forget us and you need to do something like come back here and help us. And, um, don't forget about us. Don't, don't go back to where you came from and, and just go back to your old life. Like we need, mm. we need help. You know, we need someone like you to come help us. Wow. And that was pretty humbling. Cause I thought maybe I'll never do this again. You know, maybe I'll, <laughs> I've screwed up pretty bad. They could, I don't know if I can do this anymore, but she was like, no, you, you've seen us and you know us and you, need to come back and help us so that was kind of a driving force for me for many years was to be able to um come back and serve the people Mm -hmm. wow how did you deal with like you you obviously like you became a missionary after that like and continued on and all those things and you said you're still wrestling with that situation exactly Um, what have been some of the things that have helped you over the years sort of deal with God not showing up in that instance? Um, Well, I came across a verse in Isaiah 45, verse 9, which said, Woe to the man who fights with his creator. Does the pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with him who forms it, saying, Stop what you're doing, it's wrong? Or does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? Um... Woe to the baby just being born who squalls to his father and mother. Why have you produced me? Can't you do anything right at all? And um, this verse just kind of smacked me in the face of just like, who, who, are, who am I to question God, right? Was I, you know, Job says, in Job he talks about, were you there when I created the world and set the foundations in its place? Like I'm God, like I do what I want to do. Who are, who are you? Like I've made you like you're, Hmm. you're somebody I made for a purpose and who are you to question me what I'm doing? Hmm. And, you know, God is so gentle and in so many parts of the Bible, but there is every once in a while where he reminds us, look, I'm in charge. (laughs) I'm in control. You're, you're somebody I made for a purpose, and uh, who are you to question me? And so that just kind of um, struck me like, yeah, I can't, yeah, what am I 
yeah, God is God, right? Like mm. he, he can do what he wants. If if he wants to end me, he can end me, you know, and mm. he can he, he can do what he wants. So I just have to it's been a challenge for me to just strengthen my faith and just believe he's sovereign and say, okay, yeah, he has a purpose and a plan and he's doing what he's doing for a reason. I don't know what it is. That lady's on a journey and I'm sure um, God's in it and knows the plans he has for her and also for me and everyone who is involved. And yeah, I don't know that I'll ever have an explanation in this life. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just believe yeah I feel like a lot of people if they went through that you know might have a temptation to not be a Christian or, or you know like totally stop believing in God so it's really interesting that you're like oh you know what God can do what he wants to do but was there ever a time where you were like kind of questioning like his realness or have you has it always been like pretty straightforward in your mind to believe that God exists? Um, I think I always believe God exists because I've seen so much evidence of it hmm. and, and personally experienced it. And I think once you have a personal experience with God, like there's no going back on that. You can't deny the experience then, you know? Hmm. Um, and I've had so many so many personal experiences and a lot of them are in the book it's just like it's interesting even when i talk about the book with um non-christians and some of the stories that are involved like they can't they can't question or deny that that was my experience and Hmm. i have had supernatural experiences with god so he's he's been real to me in so many ways and there's no like you can't you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube on that like it's happened Mm -hmm. and it's real he's proved himself to me i can't be like okay now i don't believe it anymore you know so Mm -hmm. it would i would be an idiot because it's it's so um it's so real and it's he's obvious to me he's obviously there and he's obviously in control and he's obviously working so i could try to put myself above him and say Oh wait, God! What are you doing? I don't think you did this right. You know, you need to, mm. you need to step it up and and do a better job. You know, mm. but I'm one of His creations, so how how can I say that? Right. Mm-hmm. We love to put ourselves in that position, though, these days, especially of we have the power, we have the the knowledge, because we have so much like knowledge at our fingertips. We love to think we know best all the time. Um, and it's really a humbling position to remember. Like, we are just creation, and if something goes a way that we don't think it should have gone, like, we're the ones to humble ourselves before we ask God to humble himself in that, mm-hmm. that instance, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like, at least in our generation, there's this big idea of, like, well, God, why did you do it this way? And refusing to follow God or not believing in God because he didn't do creation the way some people think he should have, Right. And it's not often you hear someone just say, hey, God is God and you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like he exists whether you like it or not. And he's good. And, and so I think that's maybe it could be more of what people are wrestling with is like, how is God good in the face of this? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you could say to that? Like, how is God good in the face of suffering that happens? 
How is God good in the face of suffering? Well, that's a timeless question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis writes a lot about that. Um, yeah. It's it's a hard one. I think everyone personally has to come to their own conclusions right. on that. It's You can say little cliche things about it, but really it has to be something that sinks into the heart. And hmm. I, I look at it as you know, God being a father. And now that I'm a father, my children trust me. And especially when they were little, like I would tell my kids, Hey, we're going, you know, come with me. And they would say, sure. And they'd come with me, but they didn't know where they're going. They just trust me, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm not, that I'm good and that I love them and that I'm not going to take them somewhere that's bad for them. They don't know if they're going to get an ice cream or if they're going to the doctor to get an injection. They mm -hmm. just trust me happily go along because I'm their dad and they love me and I love them and I think that's what it comes down to you know we live in a fallen sinful world and we're reaping the consequences of our decisions every day and there's a lot of bad things happening in this life and it's just part of the deal of the fall so you know until we get to the other side it's it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of terrible things and the other day I heard somebody say, and I thought this was so good, that God doesn't respond to need. And we see needs all around us, and we see suffering all around us, and we see all this stuff. And God doesn't necessarily respond to that. You know, we're, we are reaping consequences in this, in this life. Mm -hmm. um, but God does respond to faith. And um, th that's when we see God moving in the, in the times of faith. And I think that's the challenge to us not to give up in despair, but to trust God and come to a place of peace and in, in, in being able to say, Lord, if you intervene, that would be great. But if you don't, I'm still going to believe in you and I'm still going to follow you and still still trust you because you're my father and you're good and you're, you're going to take me to a good place. And, mm. you know. Yeah, that's great. It's a hard, it's a humbling thing. In my youth, I was quite a, confident person and I um, had a lot of I felt quite invincible in a lot of ways mm. and when I was 27 years old I had a medical condition where my heart would start and stop wow. and I think I was getting to a place of arrogance and it was just like God put his finger on my heart like look what I can do I can turn it off I can turn it on I can turn it on <laughs> and I was like oh man Wow. Like, I was, you know, the height of my physical fitness, the height of my, you know, mm. everything. And it's just like, God's like, I could end you. Like, I can mm. end you right now if I feel like it. Off, on, mm. off, on, off, on. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Um, <laughs> stop, please. You. <laughs> yeah, stop. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like you're gonna trust me. You're not gonna trust me. Like, am I? Mm. You're gonna give me sovereign control or not? You, you know. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Okay, you know, you. Um, it's really a humbling experience. You think you're, you think you're in control. You think you, you're healthy. You think you have everything you need, and it can be over in a day. And you know, I was able to get. An operation the first operation was unsuccessful and it's like oh no you know but the second operation was successful and it fixed the problem but 
I got the point that, you know, life is pretty fragile and mm. it can, you know, you're one day away from bad news and your health yeah. or, you know, what, what's happening to you. You could be in a car accident. You could, there's a lot of things that can happen. And so we just have to have this, get to this place of peace and trust with God that look, I trust you with my life and you've got my days numbered. I'm here for a purpose. What do you want me to do? And let's do it. And then let's get on with it and mm-hmm. see you on the other side. It's, it's, I don't know. I think it's at, at this point of everything I've been through, it's kind of like, I'm really well aware that I'm, I'm don't want to be here for myself i'm here to serve the lord and whatever that looks like and whatever however long he wants that to go and whatever he wants me to accomplish it's great and that's beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. that's amazing i know we only have about 10 minutes left um but towards the end of all our shows we like to ask our guests this question and maybe it's what we've been talking about the last half hour but the question is what has been the hardest thing you've encountered as a christian and then how did you overcome it to stay a Christian? Yeah. The hardest thing I've encountered as a Christian is other Christians. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the hardest thing is staying a Christian has been other Christians. Wow. Um, unfortunately, the most opposition I've faced in life has been from Christians. Um, working with, you know, unbelievers working in remote parts of the world with with all kinds of people and all kinds of dangerous situations has been pretty easy compared to dealing with the church mm-hmm. for me um i would take cannibals any day over <laughs> over a board of elders over a mega church yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> wow um i don't I mean, I'm not saying this to knock the church, but I think we can do better, you know, and we need to do better and we need to mm. be gracious people who support one another and yeah. and are okay with people on a journey and not, you know, shooting our wounded and throwing them out the moving bus. Yeah. Mm, wow. Um, we could spend a whole hour on that alone. And I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I choose to stay engaged with the church because I want to be part of the change. Um, I want to see change i want to see people help when i see wounded people come in you know i want to restore them i want to help with their healing process i want to Mm -hmm. see them you know not end up bitter and leaving the church um as i could have done at any point but um yeah i've i've probably been thrown out of two or three churches just for not measuring up to what they thought i should be you know Mm -hmm. and um it's it's really sad that you know these have been you know sort of clubhouses for man-made ambitions mm-hmm. um, and gotten mm-hmm. off track in some ways. Wow. Um, I think for me, like in many cases, I felt like a square peg trying to be pounded into a round hole in some of mm-hmm. these places, and I realized that there are some really good churches out there that are out of the box and, you know, fit me a lot better. And so I've been able to find some of those and get in with some really great people who are challenging the status quo and who are really doing some amazing things. And that's exciting 
to be a part of that and be a part of the body of Christ. But, you know, it's in many cases, it, it's gotten off track and that's a huge subject in itself. But, you know, the church should really be a place where we're being encouraged and we're being trained and we're being sent out, we're being loved and learning and growing and all that. And unfortunately, it's not always like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. Right on. That's a, I'm, like I said, we could talk for a I long time. I want to know the podcast on is that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll have you on in a couple of weeks to talk okay. about <laughs> the church and, and getting better. Yeah. But yeah. Well, guys, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching the show. Uh, Ray, we'd love to have you on. It's been a great time. Um, we're excited, hopefully, to have you on again. Uh, again, guys, check out his book on Amazon, When the Sharks Come. Um, I'm sure it's a fantastic book. I haven't read it, but I would like to soon. Um, yeah, right. Thanks for coming on. And have everybody have a great day. Yeah. See you guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Shoots. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye.